Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? Oh, just, you know, uh, living life in my, my Corona bunker in, uh, in southeast Michigan. Yes, and I am uh, bunkered up in lovely Syracuse, New York. Uh, of course, all of us here at Roar Lions Roar want to make sure you are all staying safe. Uh, you are all staying healthy, staying inside to whatever extent that you possibly can. Doing all those best practices as we're kind of going through a bit of a, a funky time right now with uh, COVID-19 spreading from coast to coast. Uh, hopefully for the next however long this edition of the podcast goes, we can kind of take your mind off of everything going on in the real world. We can focus a little bit on something we all love, which is Penn State football. And Matt, we are doing this episode of the podcast tonight, March 26th, because today ended up being a really big day uh, for Penn State football. James Franklin, for the first time we've gotten a chance to see it in a while, sent out the We Are Better tweet. The Nittany Lions landed a recruit from Blue, a commitment from Blue Chip offensive lineman recruit Landon Tengwall from Olney, Maryland, goes to Good Council High School in the class of 2021. He's a six foot six, 300 pound offensive lineman, composite four star, the number 45 player nationally, and the number one player in Maryland. Uh, Matt, this commitment wasn't a surprise. Like, once it, I, I think for a lot of people who follow this, once it was announced that Tang Wall had set a date, it seemed pretty obvious that he was going to pick Penn State, you know, that are picking Penn State over Notre Dame. Before we dive into him as a football player, can we just get his backstory a little bit on uh, Landon Tengwall and what ended up happening that led to him coming to Penn State? Yeah, I think it's, um, in a sense, it's kind of the the ultimate proof of what James Franklin preached as far as building relationships beyond just coach and player and, and coach and family. Um, Landon Tengwall got his offer uh, from Penn State over two years ago. He was a... Um, freshman going into his sophomore year, um, but was offered in February of 2018. Um, but his relationship with the, the staff goes back even further than that. I think um, he said in interviews that he's known um, Tyler Bowen and James Franklin and, and kind of the group at Penn State since he was in eighth, eighth or ninth grade. So the the off scholarship offer has been out there for two years. The the relationship goes back even further than that. And like I said, it's kind of the 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 line that James Franklin preaches so much is he's trying to build relationships and um, it really manifests itself in kind of how, how Tangwell ended up in, at Penn state. Um, he's visited, I think um, it was either eight or nine times since that offer. Um, he was just up here um, kind of made a day trip back in January. Um, not too long after Phil Troutwine was hired um, to meet him. Um, and just really is, it's always been Penn state and everyone else. There's kind of been a rotating, number of schools that have been in that second tier. Um, like you said, Notre Dame was the the primary competition. Michigan was there for a little bit, um, including a handful of others, you know, big name schools like Ohio state and Alabama have popped up on and off, but Penn state was kind of the constant. And I think it all goes back to that relationship that's been established um, primarily with James Franklin, but Tyler Bowen um, who has the connection to Maryland um, was really instrumental in this. And even um, obviously Phil Troutwine's only been on the job for a couple months, but um really connecting both of them connecting with each other real early on. In fact, even before um, Tengwall 
um, had met Troutwine. He gave a quote to 247 um, back in January. Shelter was hired and said, love him. Greatest hire they could have made. We've talked a ton. Super exciting for Penn State and potentially super exciting for me. Great coach, but you can tell he truly cares about building you as a man too. Um, and I think it, you know, I'm sure there was some contact between uh, Tangwall and Troutwine before he ended up at Penn State. I'm sure when he was at Boston College and in his previous stops, he was, um, you know, at least checked in on him. So there was, you know, some sort of familiarity there. But I think that kind of underscores just how strongly he felt about Penn State. And with um, this uncertain time, a lot of things, but especially in recruiting um, the topic of the moment, the fact that he um, had been really insistent on taking um, official visits this spring. Um, Notre Dame, I think, was scheduled for this coming weekend, actually. Um, he didn't have anything officially scheduled with Penn State, but he was going to be back on campus at some point. Um, the fact that a guy that was that thorough and wanted to make sure he you know, got as much information as possible before making this decision, the fact that he felt comfortable without really knowing when he's going to be able to get back up there, start, you know, keep building on that relationship, especially with his new position coach. Um, he was comfortable doing it without seeing Notre Dame another time. Um, just really speaks to how strongly he feels about Penn State. Um, I actually pulled up an article from back in, in February uh, of 2018 when he was offered. Um, this is from Brian Doan at 247. Um, he says, this offer means so much to me. They take recruiting very seriously and only offer people they know. They want to help them get to a national championship. The thought that I could get them to achieve that means a lot. Penn State is my dream school. So I'd say Penn State is my leader at this moment. And it really you know, didn't waver from that point on. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about it here, but he's also the personality that um, I think can really become a, a real big cornerstone in this class. Yeah, while you were while you mentioned uh, Boston College, I actually went back and looked. And uh, 24-7 does say that there was interest uh, there. It actually says Boston College didn't offer him. Uh, but I did a search on his Twitter account, and on March 21st, 2018, uh, he tweeted that he got an offer from Boston College. Of course, that's when Phil Troutwine would have been there. Matt, take a guess who the one person who replied to that tweet was. Uh, Phil Troutwine. Caleb Williams. Neither here nor Ooh. there. Uh, just I, I'm going to float that out there without context uh, and without knowing anything, and uh, maybe one uh, BWI board will go insane over that. But neither here nor there. Please do not think that that's an indication of anything, but I am glad uh, that you mentioned something that I was going to mention, Matt, which is that this kind of is proof of concept about how James Franklin wants to recruit and how he wants to build a, uh, he wants to build a system where you are being recruited. You have your primary recruiter. You have one or two others who are, you know, the ones making the most contact, but you are being recruited by Penn State staff. I mean, this past off season, Penn State, I, I mean, Tyler Bowen's been the guy there for however long. Of course, Bowen came to Penn State for the 2018 season, but Penn State lost the offensive coordinator that for however many, you know, for a couple of years, Tangwall thought he'd be playing under. And he it lost the offensive line coach that presumably Tangwall thought was going to coach him when he came to Penn State, uh, Matt Limegrover and Penn State, of course, parted ways. Ricky Ronnie taking the head coaching job at Old Dominion. But Penn State was able – they kept Tyler Bowen around. They were able to get someone in who excited him. And the entire Penn State staff and the entire Penn State experience was able to sell this young star on being able to come up to Happy Valley. And as a result, Penn State was able to get someone who – 
he is going to be an impact player along the offensive line for Penn State. And he is someone who's coming in, like you mentioned, this is his dream school. He said in his recruitment, in his commitment video, in which he did uh, a little on, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He did a Skype interview with uh, rivals where he called James Franklin the best coach in America. This just seems like the perfect fit between player and, and program and Matt, I think the thing that is really going to make Penn State fans excited. I'm looking at his scouting report on twenty four seven six six three hundred at you know sixteen seventeen years old whatever he is. Getting compared to Ryan Ramchek of the uh, New Orleans Saints, who was a first team All Pro this year, it seems pretty safe to assume that based on his size and based on his skill set he is going to be someone who is a really good football player for Penn State for however long he is in Happy Valley. Oh, for sure. And I think um, offensive line recruiting can be difficult. Like we've talked about a hundred times, you know, the elite guys are usually just so much bigger, faster, and stronger than the guys they're lining up against. It's hard to get really get a feel for how good they are. Um, I think what's unique about Tengwall, and he reminds me in a lot of ways of maybe like a Connor McGovern or Michael Mennett, um, guys who... Um, in McGovern's case, stepped right in and played right away as a true freshman. Mennett didn't, but um, was right there, especially as injuries wrapped up, racked up his freshman year. Um, but he's a kid who, obviously, there's room for improvement. You know, he's going to improve as a technician. He's going to um, improve technique. He's going to get stronger in in more specific ways once he starts working with Dwight Galt. But he's a kid who you kind of know the floor is pretty high. Um, he's he's as close to a finished product as you'll see for most offensive line recruits. Um, I'm going to kind of jump ahead to something we want to talk about here. And I think what um, is really intriguing and it's kind of the ultimate manifestation of a lot of the ways that Penn state recruits in the offensive line is he can play inside or out. I think um, he certainly has the ability to play tackle. I think um, just from kind of reading the tea leaves and some of the scouting reports that are out there, he might fit, he might be a better prospect as a guard, um, but that's sort of the kind of thing that gets sorted out when he when he gets on campus. But um, like you said, Bill, he's he's six foot six, three hundred pounds already. Um, he looks like a full grown man um, at seventeen or eighteen years old, and that's before he's ever even really started working with a, a dedicated strength and conditioning program like he'll get uh, at, at Penn State when he arrives on campus, whenever that ends up happening. So it's um, it's really um, you hear Dwight Galt talk about getting elite athletes, you know, whatever position they might play and trying to get, a, you know, you know, another, you know, half a tenth of a second out of their 40 yard dash or 10 more pounds on their bench press or whatever it might be. Tengwall is kind of the example of that on the offensive line, I think, where he's getting a really, really talented athletic guy and they can kind of, you know, work to perfect both his, his strength. And then once Phil Trout was able to work with him, uh, develop that technique a little bit further and um you know really you know see how high he can go I, i'm not sure um, we'll talk about this a little bit further down there's other guys that probably have higher ceilings potentially just based on on you know their current size and raw athleticism and things like that i'm not sure there's a better prospect at this point um than landon tangle along the offensive line he, he's certain in everything that i watch about him like he look you can usually tell when you're watching along the offensive line when there's a guy who is just kind of getting away with being uh six six and 300 pounds and he could just 
you know, overpower, uh, less physically imposing dudes. He legitimately seems like he kind of knows what he's doing, which I, I swear to God is a much bigger compliment than it comes out off as just because, like you mentioned, with offensive line recruiting, it's kind of a crapshoot. He also just has a really impressive mean streak to him. And he seems like the kind of guy that whenever they decide, like you mentioned, they're going to get him up here. They're going to get him in the strength and conditioning program. They're going to decide where they're going to, where he best projects on the offensive line. And we can, uh, a little bit further down the road in this podcast, talk about why maybe they could be a little bit more flexible with him. Maybe with some other guys who are going to be coming in, maybe with some other dudes in the program, but just getting him and getting what Tangwall brings, uh, it, it, that, it's something that you would kill for in any offensive line class. I, like you mentioned, like his ceiling isn't, it, it, to kind of keep it in this class, his ceiling isn't as high as, uh, you know, people might think a Nolan Rucci's might be or a Tristan Lee's might be, but he seems like a very safe relatively speaking, safe option along the offensive line, no matter where he's going to end up lining up. And I'm looking at Penn State's uh, scholarship grid right now, Matt, and uh, we'll operate under the assumption that we're going to get a full season this year, which obviously everything is up in the air right now. But Penn State's offensive line, we can probably say with some amount of confidence, is going to be Rashid Walker, and then one of uh, Des Holmes, Mike Miranda, C.J. Thorpe, Michael Mennett, the other of Holmes, Miranda, and Thorpe, and then Will Fries. Penn State has its offensive line. It's in a bit of a position where it could get other guys some reps but not have to rush dudes, which as people who watch Penn State football during the post-sanctioned years is a glorious thing along the offensive line. But Fries and Mennett leave uh, after this year. We'll see whomever uh, fills in for them. The way that I am looking at Penn State's offensive line depth chart, the fact that you mentioned Tengwall as someone who could play any of, you know, X positions – I think that's something that helps him get a path onto the field a little bit sooner when he gets uh, into Happy Valley because let's just say Penn State loses only Mennett and only Fries. They have a left tackle in Walker. They have a right, they'll have to figure out a right tackle. They have to figure out a few other spots. If they want to bring Tengwall along slowly, they have the opportunity to do that. But if not, there are positions where he can compete is he a guy who you think, I don't want to say could be a day one starter, but could potentially be a day one contributor and be one of those yellow light guys as a true freshman? Oh, for sure. And I think he's the, you know, kind of the ultimate beneficiary of the revised redshirt rule that allows kids to play up to four games uh, without losing that rule, that year of eligibility. Um, and then if you look at the depth chart, even on top of that, you know, Fries and Manita are moving on after this year. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't be a complete shock if Rasheed Walker, if he has a big time year, looks into the NFL because he's got that kind of talent. Um, all of a sudden, if, if, if those three guys move on, there's a lot of playing time up in the air and there's not a ton of obvious candidates that jump out at you. Um, there's, there's a lot of competition that's going to happen 
for sure for that right tackle and center spot going into the 2021 season um, to get really ahead of ourselves. Um, but when you look at the rest of the depth chart and kind of where it shakes out by class, um, Tangwall, especially if he's a potentially an earlier enrollee, if you think about that, he's the kind of kid that is going to be right there, whether he is starting or ends up, you know, playing beyond those four games, you know, is, is just a total guess at this point. But I, I would, I'd be shocked if he wasn't part of the conversation um, heading into 2021 with at least two starting spots and maybe three open um, at one tackle and then two inside spots. I don't think he's got, got the center um, pedigree. Um, they look at guys like Miranda and Juice Scruggs if he's able to um, continue his recovery from his car accident last year. Um, but there's there's an inside spot and an outside spot up for grabs. And like I said, if you look at last year's uh, – the class of 2020 and the class of 2019 there aren't a lot of guys that jump out to you as that's the guy that's going to take that spot i think Caden wallace is a guy we heard a lot about last year but beyond that um you know bryce efter is a guy that's got a little bit of buzz um anthony wiggin the junior college transfer has two years left um counting this year but that's a lot of unproven uh talent um, and, and Tangwall, I think, is right there with those guys, assuming um, you know, he continues to develop and, and arrives with the kind of um, and displays the kind of talent that he's shown thus far. Um, it's just it's it's a wide open competition heading into that his freshman year, which I think really benefits him potentially more than really anyone else um, that that gets added to this class. Yeah, I, I mean, it, he is. It's funny. He might benefit from the fact that the incoming freshman class uh, of offensive linemen is a lot of guys who might need some molding. Uh, because is, is there any indication on whether or not Tangwa would try to be an early enrollee, or is it still? You know, I wouldn't be surprised. It's just you know it's obviously more and more the trend. But right. um, there, I haven't seen or read any indication about what his plans are at this point. That's you know obviously still what eight or nine months away at yeah. least. I mean, he wouldn't. He he's so interesting because if he's able. To I don't want to say 100% physically compete from day one, but if he's not lost out there physically from day one uh, when he steps onto campus, with how much uncertainty there is uh, – well, I, I don't want to say how much uncertainty. With how much uh, the 2020 offensive line class is viewed as a, a group of guys who could use a little bit of molding, perhaps he's able to step in there and he's able to make uh, – and he's able to show enough as an early enrollee where spring we're hearing some buzz in spring ball. Uh, we're hearing some buzz at the 2021 blue white game, which like, by the way, just as a complete aside, I don't know if there is a single thing on earth. I'm looking forward to more right now than the 2021 blue white game, just all things considered. And then gets into summer shows what he can do there. And eventually season rolls around. He seems like a kid. It would be very, very. Um, it it might be foolish to count him out in the way that you would count out other true freshmen uh, offensive linemen. But that's really, really far down the road. Uh, let's look at something that's a little bit more immediate when it comes to Penn State's uh, offensive line, and that's Penn State's offensive line as a uh, within recruiting currently. It is Tengwall. It is Nate Bruce. Uh, Matt, it seems like Penn State, whether or not they land all the guys that they want to land, obviously that remains to be seen. 
But Penn State at least seems like it is in the conversation for a bunch of dudes that if they can land one or two of them, this is going to be a historically great offensive line class for the Nittany Lions. For sure, and we'll just I'll run down a couple of the names here um, that uh, you'll want to keep your eye on. Nolan Rooch is, is the big one, um, at least at this point. Um, the and, Littitz, quite, and quite literally, he is quite huge. He he is a a, a very large teenager, um, but he's he's a Pennsylvania native, a legacy. Um, he's probably the most likely of the names I'm going to mention here at this point. Um, it's far from a given. Um, he's his his floor is a little bit lower. His ceiling is just sky high. He's six eight, two eighty nine already as a, a currently a high school junior. So you you can imagine the the ability to to add strength and size to a frame like that. Um, the other name that's really um, was really hot for Penn State early on and it's kind of slowed down a little bit here for as far as Penn State's concerned is Tristan Lee from Fairfax. Um, he's he's risen to the number 15 player in the country. Rucci's uh, number 14 nationally and the number one player in Pennsylvania. Um, but Lee was really high on Penn State and then um, just completely exploded on the recruiting scene um, probably about two or three months ago as he went through some of the uh, – the elite level camps and earned a bunch of um, offers from schools like LSU and Clemson, Alabama down South. And that's kind of where it seems like he's leaning at this point. Doesn't seem like anything's imminent there with him. Um, but then what's been really intriguing to me is the guys that have, have popped up on the radar now for Penn state since Phil Troutwine got here. Um, the most, uh, Potentially the most likely name at Penn State, I don't think he does ultimately, is a Clarkston, Michigan native, Rocco Spindler. That's just outside Detroit. Um, he's a, a true in offensive guard prospect, um, but he's a guy that wasn't really even on Penn State's radar until a couple months ago, and they were able to get him on campus before um, the February dead period in spring break and now the, the coronavirus-related dead period, um, and really shot up the, the his list. Um, he's probably still leaning Notre Dame or maybe Michigan at this point, but um, the longer he goes and the, and um, without making a decision, and hopefully he's able to get back on campus, um, that's that's a guy to really keep an eye on. Um, they've gotten involved a little bit with his teammate Garrett Dellinger at Clarkston, um, who seems more likely to be heading to LSU at this point. Um, but then as you you work your way down here and just scrolling through the uh, um, the the two four seven list, but you've got. Um, Logan Taylor from Virginia. Um, the name I was trying to find here, there's another kid from Michigan. Um, that's a kind of a, a, a flex guy that can play inside or out. Um, that's kind of a high three, low four, four star player whose name I'm, I'm blanking on at the moment. I was another guy to keep your eye on, I think going forward. Um, and that's a guy again, that Troutwine was able to get involved. Um, the one name that I didn't mention that uh, we probably talked about previously is Wyatt, Wyatt Milam uh, from West Virginia, who actually committed to West Virginia um, not that long ago. Um, no indication that he's um, still considering anywhere else at this point. So um, kind of can cross him off the list, it would appear. But um, even if Penn State's able to land one of those three, you know, Rucci, Lee, or Spindler, along with Tengwall, all of a sudden you've got any of those guys are uh, top 50 players. So you all of a sudden had two top 50 offensive line prospects. Um, anything you add to that is, is almost gravy. If you want to think of it that way, obviously you want to go for more and more, but um, I think, I think getting one of those three, um, if I had to put any money on it at this point, I'd say Rooch would be the most likely, but like I said, far from a sure thing. Um, but I, I think Penn state's going to end up with, Tangwall and at least one other really, really high end prospect along the offensive line, which um, kind of reminds me a little bit of, of Rashid Walker's class, um, which I would believe would have been the 2018 class 
um, with him and uh, Nana Asadu, who unfortunately was uh, forced to retire due to the, to the um, heart condition. But you you bring in two guys like that that are that highly regarded at such an important position, and it really sets you up long term um, at that spot because you're able to kind of fill in around them with two guys that you're really confident are going to be big time players for you. Caleb Tiernan. Yes, thank you. I, I was looking for kids from Michigan, and he was the one that I came across. Uh, currently, his crystal ball. All five predictions are to Michigan, but uh, you know, I would like it very much if he came to Penn State. I, I'm glad you mentioned how Penn. It, it's funny we when you think of offensive line recruiting, it, you normally like to think of it as you want as many bites of the apple as possible. You don't want. You, you obviously recruit every position uh, based on need, based on what you have for uh, have on your roster already. But I do wonder, just speaking out loud here, the fact that Penn State took such a big offensive line class last year, if that gives them a little bit more flexibility to be a little bit more select. I mean, obviously, if uh, a kid like Nolan Rucci and a kid like Tristan Lee and a kid like Rocco Spindor all want to come Penn State's going to be doing backflips. But if Penn State wants to be able to focus their time and resources into getting one of them, uh, it, it becomes a little bit more feasible to do that considering they have enough bodies. Uh, they have a coach that they believe in. They have a strength program they believe in. Uh, all those sorts of things. And yeah, I, I like the comparison uh, to the Walker, not do class because that was a class where you know, I haven't gone back and listened to, to the podcast and what we and read what we've written at that time, but I will bet that we were saying that in Rashid Walker and Nana Sidu, Penn State had two bookend offensive tackles for the next, you know, three, four, five years. However, if they are to get uh, Tang Wall and they're able, you, you know, we'll say they get Rucci as well, that's a pair of bookends that Penn State has or a pair of guys who can, who could be bang on starters uh, over the course of their careers. Again, we sat through those years uh, where Penn State's offensive line really, really struggled. This is a luxury for Penn State and something that we've been wanting to see, you know, consistently great offensive line play for some time. There's reason to believe that is possible, but of course that's, uh, you know, no guarantee that happens, but uh, cautious optimism is that the uh, is that the approach you would take, Matt? I think so, and I think the one thing that um, and this is kind of a self fulfilling prophecy in a sense, but one thing that really excites me is is Phil Troutwine, and obviously he hasn't coached a single um, even practice. He's you know all he's been able to do at this point is observe the winter conditioning, um, but all the buzz around him as far as his track record. Um, you know, first as a player at Florida and then in the NFL and then as a coach, um, you know, up to and including Boston College has been he's you know one of those rising stars in the coaching world. And I think the fact that um, James Franklin made the move to replace Matt Langrover, who I don't think did a bad job, but I think it felt like they had kind of plateaued at that position. I think it shows an awareness and a realization that we have to get a lot better um, or t- take another significant step up front on the offensive line to get to where we want to go. Um, that's not saying it's the only spot that needed to do that, but I think it was the one spot where it felt like relative to the talent that was on the roster, it probably underachieved to some degree. 
even though they hadn't been hadn't been bad the last couple of years. But it just felt like they needed to get more out of that. I think the move to bring in a guy like Troutwine, um, which has been universally, you know, anyone and everyone who writes about college football and follows things closely enough had just raved about um, James Franklin able to bring him in. Um, and I think the reaction you see from recruits, um, both as they relate to him as a, as a coach and a, and a person, but I think the realization, too, that he can help them take that next step and get to the NFL, which is especially for this, these high-level kids like Landon Tangwall, Nolan Rucci, Tristan Lee, et cetera, our guy, that's that's their ultimate goal. And let's not kid ourselves. They're looking at the places that can get them there. Um, Landon Tangwall was really upfront about that was a big reason why Notre Dame was his other finalist was their track record of putting offensive linemen into the NFL. And the fact that not only him but other guys of that ilk and that le- level of talent see that from from Penn State now in what Phil Troutwine can bring to the table for them, I think is really encouraging. Um, even if it doesn't necessarily manifest itself in landing all these kids this year, I think the fact that you know, Rocco Spindler, for example, they came from not even being in consideration to now being one of his his final, I don't think he's announced a final list, but I think he's reasonable to say probably a top four or five school, um, if not higher than that. The fact they've been able to do that as quickly as they have been speaks to primarily Troutwine's ability as a coach, and then also, also the, obviously the relationship building that we've talked a lot about. Yeah, I mean, well, th- this is the uh, th- this is the part where it, we'll see what Troutwine is as a coach. Uh, you know, when the season rolls around, but. Dude was able to do some really good work at Boston College. He's a young guy, but he's someone who has who knows what it takes to get to the NFL. Uh, played a couple of years uh, with the Rams, with the Browns, and then with the Rams again, and then a few practice squad years. And dude is able to go to the table of any recruit in college football and drop down a pair of BCS National Championship rings uh, and show that he was an all-SEC selection like he he is someone that you have to feel really good about the future of Penn State's offensive line as long as he's here. And this is the earliest return. I mean, there's obviously the buzz and the chatter that's going to be around him, but the earliest possible return that we can get at this point is what he does on the recruiting trail. And it's really hard. It's impossible to be disappointed with what uh, we've seen out of him so far. Uh, but what kind of the last hangwall thing I want to talk about, we can just... Uh, hit on this really quickly is that in addition to getting a really, really good football player, uh, Penn State's recruiting staff got a little bit better because he seems like the kind of kid uh, who can immediately, you, you know, he seems like he wants to bring talent with him to Happy Valley. I, let's, I'm looking at this here and he, within an hour, uh, within a few hours of his commitment hitting Twitter, uh, he saw a tweet from former Penn State uh, commit Dante Thornton, uh, congratulating him. And he quote tweeted and said, I'm gonna get him. Don't y'all worry. So he seems like someone who's going to really, uh, seems like someone, Matt, who's going to really embrace, uh, when James Franklin, when Phil Troutwine, uh, when Tyler Bowen, when Kirk Shiraka can't send texts to recruits and try and sell them on Penn state, he seems more than happy to take that mantle himself. (laughs) 
Well, first of all, those coaches are, can still have electronic contact, you know, phone calls, texts, DMs, et cetera. So it's no, just no face-to-face contact either on campus or, or in high schools or, or I guess you can't even go into high schools at this point because they're all closed too. Oh, I even mean um, with just like the season happening. And I got you. I got you. But, but regardless, um, I, I think his status among his peers, especially in the Maryland, Virginia, D.C. area, is kind of unmatched. And and going back to the quote, a couple of quotes I gave you know, right off the top as far as his feelings about Penn State, that's going to shine through here, I think, as time goes on and um, reminds me a little bit in the sense of, of Shane Simmons, how he kind of became a vocal leader um, and kind of a cheerleader for that class. I think, you know, obviously different personalities, but um, the same kind of stature among similar players in, in the D.C., uh, Maryland, Virginia area. You mentioned Dante Thornton. Um, you've got a guy like Damian Robinson from Gaithersburg, um, who Penn State's really high on. Uh, Jalo Farouk, the wide receiver from Upper Marlboro, which is a, a program that's obviously very familiar to Penn State. Um, and then the one name that um, I'm sure every Penn State fan is aware of, um, just released his top five earlier this week, is uh, the top quarterback in the country, Caleb Williams. Um, who is actually, I believe, in uh, D.C., uh, his high school. But um, I believe all those guys, or at least most of them, reached out to Tangwall either before or after his commitment, um, you know, wishing him luck or congratulating him um, after the commitment. So um, and I know a lot of that's just social media and, and teens being te- teens, if you were, Will. But um, I think there's a level of, of respect almost there. Um, and, and he's he's made no bones about the fact that he wants to be a leader of this class. He wants to, you know, bring talent with him. We've talked about it a lot on, on the site and on the podcast that elite talent wants to play with elite talent. And I think we're going to talk about it a little bit here in a minute with this uncertain time in recruiting. I think having a guy with his stature, with his um, level of respect, especially regionally, um, is a huge plus for Penn State getting him, him on board now and kind of being able to serve as that leader. Um, you know, talk to kids about why he likes Penn State so much, what he likes about the coaching staff so much. Um, and even though these kids aren't able to get up and visit campus, they're able to talk to a guy who is probably as good a spokesman as there is outside of the coaching staff, and is is, is right there in their backyard and and you know likely is is friendly with a number of these guys through camps and and local high school games and things like that. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, that is something that I believe every class uh, would kill to have, and Penn State was able to get that a little bit earlier uh, in the day with Landon Tangwall. Uh, Matt, I'm just going to kind of roll this ball out there. Is there any other uh, recruiting bits uh, stuff? Like that, you want to talk about? I know you just mentioned Caleb Williams uh, dropping a top five a little bit earlier this week, which had Clemson, LSU, Maryland, Oklahoma, and Penn State on it. Uh, anything else on the recruiting front that has uh, piqued your interest recently? You know, this isn't Penn State related, but I've been a little bit surprised just in general, um, not even just in the Big Ten, but nationally, the number of kids that are making commitments at this point. Um, without having the opportunity to take visits. Um, I think, one, it speaks to the work that a lot of these coaches do in building those relationships and the ability of the kids to get on campus you know, earlier and earlier, even on unofficial visits. Um, but it's been a little bit surprising to see the number of, of elite-level players, especially that um, despite not being able to, to take these spring visits, 
um, are electing to pull the trigger without really knowing what, when or where they'll be, be able to visit again. Um, one thing I'm going to be interested in keeping an eye on going forward, you know, especially once um, you know things return to some level of normalcy here, hopefully sooner rather than later, is how many of these commitments actually stick. Because I think you'll see um, the NCAA ultimately making some revisions to the recruiting calendar and allowing official visits during times that they typically haven't. Um, you know, now you're able to take those visits um, essentially from April 1st through the end of June. I think what will ultimately end up happening is you're going to see that July dead period become an active period where kids can take visits, hopefully still officially. And so I think potentially you're going to see a lot of those kids have the opportunity to get out and see a few more places and, and potentially rethink things. Um, as far as Penn state's concerned, I think um, nothing really seems imminent at this point. You know, they're in on a lot of big time players. We just named a bunch of the offensive linemen. Um, if you give me one second here, I will pull up some of the, uh, the other names that, that are floating around out there. Um, but because, um, Penn State's kind of in a weird spot with the, the coaching turnover. Um, I think it's what four coaches um, that are new to, new to the program and the timing of that and the timing of the February dead period. And then Penn State went on spring break right before um, our world got turned upside down. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's, you know, bad luck from, for lack of a better term that they weren't able to get up a lot of these top targets to meet with, um, they're new coaches. Um, we've talked a lot, little bit up, a lot about the offensive line, but you've got receivers um, like Dante Thornton, who was once committed, that um, you know is still certainly considering Penn State highly, um, but he hasn't been able to get up and meet Taylor Stubblefoot yet. Jalil Farouk, who I mentioned a little bit a while ago, he hasn't been able to get up and meet his uh, potential new position coach. And those guys are certainly talking, um, but they haven't had the opportunity to sit down face to face and as we're all learning as we are um, confined to our homes here, that there's not really a whole lot that can replace sitting down and talking to someone across the table and, and really getting a feel for them, them in person. Um, you know, Braylon Brown's a kid from Florida that Stubblefield actually has a, a previous relationship with from his time at Miami um, that I believe, I think he's the one who just released the top list that had Penn state on it. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, I think you're going to see, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not going to even try and guess who, if there's another, you know, commitment or two over the next couple of weeks, um, despite the, um, the, the shutdown in recruiting and, and those in-person visits. Um, but the kids you're going to see are the ones that were like Landon Tengwall, um, really, really knew they wanted to go to Penn state and, you know, essentially got tired of waiting for the ability to get up there and make that decision in person. Um, there are a few more guys out there like that, but I think a lot of the guys that, um, you know, three or four months ago, we thought were were really solid on Penn State or really solid leans to Penn State have kind of hit pause just because of that coaching turnover. I don't think it's a bad thing necessarily. I think it's just you know they are doing the right thing and making sure that they have an opportunity to get to know these guys that um, they've really only talked to for the most part on the phone um, and in text messages and things like that, um, wanting to make sure that that relationship is is still there even though it's someone that they don't know as well um and and the program itself um is is what's critical and i think once those kids back get back on campus you know a few of those players that um have kind of taken taken a, a break here um will will be able to get back up meet these new coaches and i think you'll see whenever this happens you'll see a pretty pretty quick flood of of quite a few guys jumping on board um whenever they're able to to make those visits again 
Uh, just looked it up. Uh, Braylon Brown did drop a top five. Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, Miami, Penn State, and Georgia, according to 24-7, the two schools uh, with the warm interest distinction are Ole Miss and Penn State. So it seems like we are uh, in for the old Trey Nixon special, which is Penn State and Ole Miss fighting over a wide receiver from Florida. Uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, it, it is a it, it seems it's funny because it always seems like we say this every uh, every time we're in this part of the calendar, but this has the potential to be a really really special class uh, for Penn State, and hopefully, obviously, that ends up happening. We'll keep doing these uh, podcasts, you know, basically whenever we got new stuff to talk about. Uh, Matt, any uh, things involving the football program that you want to talk about outside of maybe? I mean, we have Kaziah Holmes apparently uh, being the next Saquon Barkley, but other than that, uh, anything really, uh, anything that you have read, seen, anything like that that really piqued your interest and you'd like to mention here? No, it's it's like I said, it's kind of the the timing of of the shutdown has really just been bad luck for Penn State, but not only recruiting, but you know they weren't even able to to start spring practice like a few programs have been able to, um, and so I think. Um, you know, we don't really get a whole lot of buzz as far as, um, you know, some of the freshmen, you know, the early, early enrollees, what they're able to do once they're able to get on the field. We're not going to, you know, get any reports on on Kirk Shiraka's, uh offense and how that's being implemented. Um, you know, James Franklin had his his Zoom press conference earlier in the week from uh, his family condo out in Colorado, I think is where he was. Um, but he was, um, you know, talking about how, um, they're kind of adjusting to this this new normal um, and forever long it lasts. Um, but he, he was talking a little bit about how um, he's not as concerned about implementing that offense because there's there's a lot of similarities, a lot there's a lot of terminology differences. But the offense itself has a lot of elements that, that what Penn State's been running for the last you know four seasons since Joe Moorhead came on board. Um, I would highly encourage everyone listening to go check out the site if you haven't already. Uh, Nate Wilmot, one of our new writers, has been doing some great work on some of the advanced stats mm-hmm. and how it compares to um, not only what Penn State's done um, over the last, really since James Franklin's been here the last six seasons, but what Kirk, his previous stuff, primarily at Western Michigan and Minnesota as an offensive coordinator. Um, and then we're, we're kind of trying to keep things going as much as we can. Um you know, we have the Mac Hibbenhammer news with him moving to baseball, which um, just, if nothing else, creates a little bit more uncertainty at wide receiver for Penn State, which is, I think, what all of us were looking forward to watching um, this this spring. Um, we have a bunch of stuff up on Landon Tengwall, <laughs> um, the commitment article, um, a nice breakdown from uh, Michael Stanley on kind of how he compares to some other elite players that have come through. Um Nick and Matt have started uh, the other Matt, not myself, have started watching old Penn State games and, and taping their reactions. We've got the 2014 Penn State Bowl that went up today. Um, so it, there's 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 not a whole lot of news because there's just not a whole lot going on anywhere in the country at this point, other than some of the recruiting stuff. But um, you know, obviously, we're hoping everyone's keeping staying safe and um, you know as things develop and happen, and you know, hopefully, we get some semblance of of football. Uh, spring practice or summer workouts, whatever the, the, the compromise is here as things hopefully get back to, to some some semblance of normalcy that we're used to. Um, we'll be right there with you and, you know, we'll, like Bill said, update you on the podcast as, as we have things to talk about. For sure. Uh, yeah, Matt, 
touched on a lot of the stuff I was going to say here. Uh, thank you very much for listening to this edition of the podcast. You know everything that goes here. If you can buy a shirt, we'd love for you to buy a shirt. Uh, please keep reading, supporting the site, following us on all our social media channels. All that stuff. We have a lot of fun stuff going on right now. We're trying to figure out the best ways to kind of navigate everything right now. Most important thing, obviously, make sure you're staying safe out there. Make sure you're washing your hands. Make sure uh, practicing social distancing, only going outside for groceries and things like that. You have heard plenty of people say that. Can't be stressed enough, though. One last time for my co-host, Matt DeBear. I'm Bill DeFilippo. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. Take care, everyone.